the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 173. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of October 18th through October 31st. We have two books to cover and a little bit of news, including solicitations, so let's dive straight into news. The very first thing we have to talk about in relation to news is uh, there was uh, an article that I skipped over last episode that I wanted to bring up. Uh, in a recent interview with Newsrama, Scott Snyder was talking with them about Greg Capullo taking a break from the book, as well as his thoughts about Dark Knight 3, and there was a couple little things in this interview that I thought were pretty interesting. One of the things he said, um, I, I'm not going to bring up the him not working with Capullo right now, because we, we discussed that last episode, um, but one of the things they were talking about was the Dark Knight 3. Now, if you remember back this was probably last December. We heard rumors that Snyder was going, was potentially working with Frank Miller on Dark Knight 3. We had heard something on that regard. Um, and we actually have an article up on the website that links to that specific article from December 3rd of last year that said Miller and Snyder to co-write sequel to Dark Knight Returns. And it was it derived from Bleeding Cool. But anyway, the the in in the interview with Newsrama, Snyder actually was asked. Uh, we know that you're you are a big fan of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, and you were initially rumored to have some involvement with it. Was there any truth to this? What was the reason you didn't become attached to it? And he specifically said, to be completely frank with you, it did, it happened like this. I was invited to be a part of Dark Knight Three pretty early on. Me, Brian, and Frank, and a couple of artists. Now Brian and Frank had a real rapport from their history together. Also, the work was extremely intense, and that required going to Frank's studio and talking to him daily about it. Having two young kids and having the workload that I have, well, I realized that while I was invited to help them do it, I wasn't going to be doing them any favors being part of it. I would constantly be in a place of constantly catching up. And to be fair, it's a dream project. Of course, I was honored and thrilled to be asked and asked to be asked to be a part of it. But honestly, I'm happier seeing what they have been able to make. I feel like I have been some sort of albatross. I would have been some sort of albatross in the way of that project. I love Frank. I love Brian. And I cannot tell you how excited and supportive of the project they've made that, that they've made together. That's all it was. I can't I couldn't make the commitment needed to really be helpful part of the project where Brian could. He had the relationship with Frank that was far deeper in, than in any, in, than in the way I knew them. And I really felt like bowing and letting them do it would make a better book. So it's interesting because as that, so the rumor, even though it was a rumor, it turned out it was somewhat true. You know, he was, at least invited and involved in the very early stages of planning it and then realized it wasn't really likely to work out. So I just thought that was kind of interesting and was, it was worth bringing up. Sounds like a lot. It, it does sound like too, that, you know, this book has been being worked on for a while. Definitely Azarello and Miller were part of the team. Um, but it sounds like an awfully lot of work every day going to Miller's place. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
unless that seems to me like an awful lot of work for a six issue miniseries. So uh, this kind of raises maybe raises my bar up a little bit for it. I mean, it sounds like this thing is pretty. I, my my fear was this always wasn't going to be well planned out, but it sounds like they put a lot of work into it. So, but I get why Snyder. I mean. Snyder seems like a busy guy. I just don't think he'd have the time to make that commitment. So it seems truthful to me. All right. So then moving into solicitations. First up, the trading graphic novel solicitations. DC released them for February and March of 2016. Several of these are collected editions of current and former ongoing titles, including Midnighter, Robin, Son of, uh, Robin, Son of Batman, Batgirl, Batman, Batmite, Catwoman, New Suicide Squad, and Justice League, as well as other collected editions from either outside the main DC line or from comics that predated, including Batman Arkham Knight Genesis, Injustice Year 3, and a new Birds of Prey Volume 2, collecting the first eight issues of Chuck Dixon's run on the title. Other noteworthy titles for TBU fans include Batman Arkham Scarecrow, a trade paperback which collects the best Scarecrow stories from the old and current DC continuities, new trade paperback printings of Identity Crisis and The Dark Knight Returns, a trade paperback edition of The Justice League of America, The Silver Age, collecting Silver Age stories from The Brave and the Bold and JLA, and an Azrael Volume 1 trade paperback collecting the four-issue miniseries Sword of Azrael and the first six issues of the character's solo series. Additionally, they also announced the second wave of the Blu-ray hardcover sets. This time, they include Batman The Dark Knight Returns, Superman Batman Public Enemies, and Justice League Throne of Atlantis, which pairs the DVD or Blu-ray animated movies with the hardcover version of the story for which that they were based on, all retailing for $34.99. We have the full list of the solicitations over on the website. I strongly suggest you check it out. Surprisingly enough, though, despite the fact that it is February and March of 2016, uh, which March obviously being the month that, uh, Batman Superman comes out, there is not as much Batman stuff as I expected, but that's not to say that there, we couldn't see more announced next month. We'll see. I, I'm sure they will be an all out blitzkrieg of, uh, bat stuff leading up to the movie. Um, I'm kind of surprised they didn't reprint like Batman Superman stories. There's been a million of them over the years. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. as well. I'm surprised that there actually isn't more, Superman, Batman stuff, especially I mean, the earlier, because I'm surprised they're not just doing new printings of of some of those, because those are pretty they're 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 very sought after, and they're they you know they're out of print, so I'm surprised they haven't done that. Oh yeah, I, I mean I would have figured that we were a shoe in for a the best Batman Superman ever told deluxe edition of fifty dollar Whopper, right? Oh. Like I mean I I would have put money on that one, but I'm kind of surprised that it's not out there. Yeah. All right, and then uh, so moving into the normal solicitations for January of 2016. Uh, first up, uh, let's talk about the variant covers for January. DC is jumping on the bandwagon that uh, I guess so many people have decided to recently jump on. I just learned about it within the last couple of weeks. Um, color coloring books. Um, I guess <laughs> this is big. It's a huge thing. <laughs> I I and I, I saw it something about a coloring book for the TV show Outlander. And then I saw it was in the back of an entertainment weekly. And I was like, coloring books, what the heck are their coloring books? And then not even two days after I saw that, then I saw something about the, an official game of Thrones coloring book is on its way. And then days after that, the, the DC thing came out saying color book, Coloring book uh, variant covers, and I'm like, what is going on? And they're here? for adults, like yes, they're, they're yes. aimed at adults, not yes. for like. Well, your kids, I, so right? I, what I basically gathered from my understanding of it is that uh, it it is a it's a new thing where, uh, well, I guess it's not new because coloring books have obviously been around for a long time, but 
Fair. It, it coloring, it, coloring, it, as an adult, coloring in general actually relieves stress in some ways. I guess it's a study that's been shown to le- relieve stress and it's like kind of like a type of, uh, you know, therapy meditation type thing. Um, so that's, that's why there, it's happening. I mean, everybody's jumping on it now, obviously, but you know, I'm not going to dismiss it. I, as a, as a kid, I always liked coloring. And then when I got older and it wasn't really cool to color, it was still fun to color, especially when you could make a page look really nice. So I'm not going to knock it because, you know, I could, I could foresee it. And I, I know that for a fact, uh, my sister actually is, uh, you know, she colors books. She has, she, she finds coloring books and colors them. So if it works for people, by all means, go right ahead. Um, but nonetheless, DC is coming out with variant covers that are featuring, um, coloring pages, uh, on the cover. So out of the bat books, uh, there's a total of 25 titles that will be getting these, these variant covers out of the bat books. They include Batman, Batman, Superman, detective comics, Grayson, justice league, J- JLA, red hood, arsenal, Robin, son of Batman, teen Titans, Titans hunt. And we are Robin. Now, one thing that is, uh, kind of interesting is that it's also worth noting that, Despite all of those titles getting the, getting those variant covers, the Batgirl, uh, Batgirl is not getting a variant cover, and this is the first time Batgirl what? hasn't had a variant cover since the Joker variant cover was pulled back in June. Uh. So, um, that's, that's interesting, especially when you have books like Red Hood Arsenal, and We Are Robin, and, uh, to a degree, Robin, so the Batman, that don't have the sales numbers that a book like Backroll does. So well, I'm not sure. Is this, what issue are these for? This for the March? It'd be 48. No, it's 48? Uh, for January. Okay. So it'd be issue 48 of Backroll. So hmm. maybe there's something special going on there we're not aware of. I doubt it because not even a couple of days later they announced the actual solicitations. And there's, Fair. Nothing, there's nothing actually going on. Fair. So, all right. So getting That's... into the actual solicitations, uh, DC released them for the month, month of January of 2016. Uh, January, we'll see the continuation of most ongoing monthly titles and, and the weekly Batman Robin Eternal, as well as Dark Knight 3, Batman Europa will wrap up in the month of January. Uh, we also have the beginning of some new titles, including Poison Ivy Cycle of Life Yay. and Death, with, uh, as well as, and, uh, Suicide Squad Most Wanted, Deadshot Katana, and the conclusion of both Robin War crossover and the final print issue of the digital series for Dark Batman Arkham Knight Genesis. Uh, in January's issue of Dark Knight 3, Batman considers turning to Superman for help. While in Batman Europa number 4, Batman and Joker stand together in the Coliseum in Rome against an enemy behind the mysterious virus that they have contracted. Batman number 48 sees Jim Gordon's Batman face an army of people who have received powers from Mr. Bloom's seeds while Bruce Wayne meets a stranger who could start a chain of events that no one can stop. Meanwhile, in Detective Comics... Jim Gordon returns to Gotham after fallout of Robin War in his adventures with the Justice League to face a case from his past that may determine the future of Batman. Speaking of Robin War, January also brings Robin War number two, the stunning conclusion of the crossover event from December, which pitted the Robins against the Court of Owls. In issues number 14 through 17 of Batman and Robin Eternal, we see that Grayson, Red Hood, Red Robin, and Harper Row have finally uncovered Mother's plot, but their attempts to bring her down may not work because Cassandra Cassandra Cain has gone rogue. 
In Batman Superman number 28, it starts a three-part arc telling an untold story from Bruce and Clark's early days. Now, this is what we were talking about with Tom Taylor, so it is a three-issue story arc, as mm. as we were talking about last episode. Um, Dick Grayson tries to take down Spiral from within with the help of Tiger in the pages of Grayson. And it also states in the solicitation that Dick's time as a spy may soon end in death. Uh, Background number 48 sees Black Canary coming to save Barbara as the two of them try to stop the new mastermind plaguing Burnside. Jason Todd and Roy Harper team up with Joker's daughter. Oh, yes, that's right. To stop a new bunch yeah. of problems Come for on. their rent-a-hero business in Red Hood Arsenal number 8. Damien teams up with his mother, Ty Al Ghul, while reeling from the events of the Robin War and Robin, son of Batman. And in We Are Robin, Duke sees the, Duke, uh, uh, and in We Are Robin, Duke and his team of Robins face a street gang called the Jokers, uh, which obviously may reference the Batman Beyond team that we know. Um, Catwoman is framed for murder in New York City in Catwoman number 48. Harley tries to save a friend of hers in Ark- from Arkham Asylum in Harley Quinn. A mysterious ninja reveals herself in Black Canary number 8 and opens up a whole new world to Dinah. Pamela Isley joins the Plant Sciences Division of Gotham Botanical Gardens and is implicated in murder of a co-worker in the first issue of the miniseries, or the Poison Ivy miniseries. Deadshot and Katana star in their own miniseries. In the team books, Justice League works with the crime of crime syndicate to defeat the Anti-Monitor as the Dark Side War continues. And in JLA, we see the resolicitation of the same issue from December, but with a new cover. Uh, Red Robin tries to hold his team together after the events of Robin Moore and Teen Titans, while Hawk and Dove join the team in Titans Hunt. January also sees a special yearbook issue of Gotham Academy, focusing on some of the supporting characters in Lost Adventures from the past year, with lots of artists and writers joining in to tell these stories. In an issue that reflects current events, Neo-Gotham considers whether they can afford to take on refugees from all over the world now that Brother Eye has been defeated in Batman Beyond. Midnighter is recruited by Spiral in Midnighter. And Starfire, actually, which we normally don't include, but uh, the cover... For Starfire number eight has Dick Grayson kissing Starfire. Uh, Ab broke his heart. Now he's going back to the one he loves. Makes sense. So with all of that, we also have new issues of New Suicide Squad, Earth Two Society, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman sixty six meets Man from Uncle, Justice League three thousand one, DC Comics Bombshells, and the final issue of Batman Arkham Knight Genesis. Also, the new year of Injustice Gods Among Us year five begins. And we see a special issue called DC Essential Superman Batman Number 1, republishing the first chapter of Public Enemies. That is all coming in January. You can check out the full list of the solicitations over on the website. Lots of stuff going on. You know what's kind of weird? It's just, this is the definition of nitpicky, but will annoy someone who tra- collects collected stuff. You know, this Batgirl went to soft cover instead of hardcover. They're not going to do a hardcover, which they've been doing since the New 52 launched. I've often wondered why they make those decisions. You know, like how does it qualify? I mean, it's selling fine. You think they'd keep it in hardcover? So I, I honestly think that there's a plenty of, and I don't think Batgirl is the only one. I think they've done that with some other ones as well. It's kind of downsizing what they're offering in hardcover. Yeah, and I think part of it is well, I think the hardcovers are automatically like five extra dollars in price when it, compared to a trade. The and trades are like 17 to 19. The hardcovers are always at least 25. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's at least $5 more. So the thing is, in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking that's probably the reason why. But 
I can, I can see from your perspective of, you know, if you're collecting them, just keep them in the same format. Please. I don't, I don't know why they change formats halfway through. Now, the one thing I guess I have to wonder is when, did, when volume one of the new Batgirl came out, was it's hardcover. It was hardcover. Okay. It's, see it from, yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was hardcover. Um, which I know, I know this is the completionist in us type thing, right? Like if it was soft cover to start with, I wouldn't have cared. When it's, when they renumbered it, when I'm still not sure why they renumbered it, to be honest with you, but. They renumbered it because the intent initially was they want, if you remember, they wanted to renumber Batgirl. That's right. When they, when they had the new direction, but then they, they, they didn't renumber it, but when they did the trades, it was like, well, we're renumbering it. A little confusing. I I just wish that if they'd make, uh, once they make a decision for a series, I wish they'd just keep it till they change the series. That's all. Nitpicky, I know, but annoying. Okay. So the only other thing that we've got is on October 21st, there was a new interview that was posted up uh, talking with Jim Lee and Dane DiDio. They talked with uh, Comic Resources in relation to All-Star Batman and Greg Capullo's hiatus. Again, not going to really go into uh, the hiatus thing because we already talked about that last episode. But as a follow-up to the All-Star, remember last episode we talked about how Frank Miller had said at New York Comic Con that... When he was asked, oh, is All-Star Batman, he said, oh, we've already started. So Jim Lee actually, uh, he clarified this in a very strange way. Hmm. He specifically went on to say, Jim Lee said that he was unsure if writer Frank Miller was serious when he made the comment in New York Comic Con, but would happily return to the title. He mentioned that both Miller seemed to be excited to write Batman again, given his work on the upcoming Dark Knight 3, and that Lee still had scripts written out for the la- at least two more issues of All-Star Batman and Robin. He said that the f- uh his fin- that he said that the finale has been sketched out for a while to involve Superman and conti- that continuing f- slash finishing the title would just depend on Miller's schedule. So, um he's basically stepping back and being like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. We might not actually be doing this yet." And it really just comes across as they just don't have any intention of announcing it yet. So, yeah, because Frank Miller didn't do it like we're thinking about it. Miller's like, oh, yeah, we're doing it like I'm working on it right now. I mean. Yeah. So it was basically like, wait a second. That wasn't actually supposed to be said yet. So we could do it, but we're not necessarily doing it. No promises. Yeah, it's basically just wait six months and then we'll get an announcement or something like that. That's most likely what will probably – well, it might not be six months. It might We might be waiting till next year because they'll probably wait until the entire – you know, DK3 is done and over with, and then they decide, hey, yeah, Frank's still around. See how the sales figures look. Well, and it's, we've only been waiting since, like, 97, so what's another six months, you know? All right, so with that, that is all of our news. Not a whole lot, except for the solicitations. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews, and our very first book is Batman and Robin Eternal. Batman and Robin Eternal, number three. Script by Tim Seeley, art by Paul Patelier and Scott Eaton, as well as uh, Tony Koros, Mark Deering, Wayne Faucher. Okay, so the issue starts off right where issue two ended with Red Hood pointing a gun at Cassandra Kane. Um, as Cassandra Kane is, is zeroing in on how to take out Red Hood, uh, he's, he makes a comment about how he had the ability to have Japanese military cyber armor uh, implant, you know, put onto his his outfit, his costume. So uh, he goes at her, and that 
continues. Meanwhile, on the opposite side of Gotham, we see Poppy in a bathroom using a magnet to take apart all of the, uh, take the, uh, hypnos out of her, off of her skin, and she, it appears that she's eating them. Um, Fair. but then she uses some of them, and then it actually, she does eat them because it's commented later on that, uh, they were killed, all the nano was killed by the acid in her stomach. Uh, so we cut back to the bar, Red Hood's going after Cassandra, and, uh, Red Hood is, is, he can tell that Cassandra's not trying to actually take him out. Um, Dick Grayson shows up, tells him to relax, he says she's here to actually save him, not go after him. So, uh, as Jason grabs a beer and is talking to Dick, he's, they say, you know, oh, uh, Harper's, uh, bleeding, we need to get her fixed up. So they decide they're going to go back to the Batcave. So they go back to the Batcave. Dick plays the, you know, the message from Batman for all of them to hear. And of course, this is the first time that Harper's been in the Batcave, that, that, uh, presumably Cassandra's been in the Batcave that we know of, as well as Stephanie Brown. And, uh, so Harper's getting fixed up on, a medical table while they're all talking about what they actually need. They're trying to decipher how Cassandra is involved in all of this. And Jason decides he's going to try to punch it out of her. Uh, Tim decides he's going to say that maybe he, you know, she thinks like a child. Maybe we can offer her some candy and we see her react with walking up to them, pointing, uh, going up to Jason, pointing to his hand, uh, walking up to Tim, pointing to his head, and walking up to Dick and pointing to his heart, leading us all to believe that that's what each one of them thinks with their, their hand, their, their fists, their, their minds and their hearts. Um, so then we see Cassandra walk over and, uh, Dick gets a phone call from Spiral and she, and Helena says, well, here's the thing. Uh, there's not a whole lot about mother, but here's what we know. I need to know what's going on with Poppy because I'm not real happy about the fact that she, she was a uh, double agent within our ranks. Um, as she says this, she gives them the little bit of information that Spiral has on mother, which is not a whole lot at all. Uh, we then cut to several years ago uh, for the flashback with Dick being under the influence of of uh, the fear gas where we see batman pull up through the batmobile in the batcave he starts he pulls up a computer uh on to begin a log and he has he's telling dick to explain exactly what happened and as he's starting to phase out of it he's explaining what happened he insists on asking batman what he saw but batman says nothing i saw nothing we then cut to uh, present time where Helena is saying the spiral text, uh, the spiral, the spiral has figured out where Poppy's last tra- uh, location was and they, they say, okay, well, that's where we must have to go. Uh, but there's another problem and it's that they're getting some sort of, the spiral is getting some sort of thing at Beacon Tower and it turns out that there's an event going on at Beacon Tower for the welcoming back of Bruce Wayne. So Dick jumps on his bike, speeds away, and says he's going to have to go after to save Bruce, tells Tim to stand by the computers and ready to help him. Cassandra in the shadows tells Harper to follow her through the Batcave, and Harper contemplates this and says, well, what options do I really have? How many chances have I Am I ever going to have to explore the Batcave? So she gets up and she decides to follow. Meanwhile, at Beacon Tower, Bruce Wayne is invited by a cook to go into the back to, you know, just, I guess, tour the kitchen uh, before the gala actually begins. 
And once he heads back, we see that a bunch of people are getting phone calls and they're all responding, yes, mother. And as he gets led into the kitchen, we see a huge number of uh, gala attendees with little hatchets in their hands and they are there to kill Bruce Wayne. All right, so then jumping straight over into issue number four, uh, the script is by Steve Orlando with pencils by Scott Eaton. Uh, as Bruce is about to be attacked by all these people uh, with the little hatchets, all of a sudden Dick Grayson tackles him to the ground and says, we got to get you out of here, shoves him in a closet and starts fighting off all these people. Uh, meanwhile, out of nowhere, the group from We Are Robin, the group of Robins, they appear and rip off their their disguises and start going after all these people wielding the hatchets as well. Then in the midst of all of that, we see Batgirl appear and Batgirl has some sort of sonic gun that interrupts the, the, the nanotech that's in their, all of these people's ears. And once that nanotech goes off, they don't have any idea what, what's going on. And they, they, that, that's, that's it. So basically then we see Dick, uh, talking to Barbara and saying, well, we need to figure out what's going on. They're trying to not let Bruce in on what's going on because he obviously has no idea what's actually going on. Uh, the We Are Robin uh, group is told to escort Bruce back. And in the process, Duke says to Dick, you know, I don't know who you are, but we were here to protect him. And, you know, who, who do you think you are? And Dick says, I'm the very first person to wear one of these R's. After that, uh, they say, okay, we cut to the back cave and we see Cassandra, uh, being followed now by Harper Rowe, who has put on her Bluebird costume. We see that she threatens Cassandra by shocking her with her, her EMP gun or taser gun or whatever it is. And, uh, Cassandra continues to just walk off. Meanwhile, uh, Stephanie gets a hold of Harper and says, don't, don't follow her. You need to take her out, and instead Harper says, nope, I'm just going to follow her. Stephanie's pretty ticked about this because she's stuck behind, and we then see Dick having a conversation with Bruce, but Bruce doesn't know it's Dick. He only knows him as Mr. Sparrow because he recognizes the voice, but the hypnosis is making it so that he can't see his face. At the Batcave, Tim is explaining that he couldn't get into the computers and find out what was going on because something was going on with the tech, with the tech, and they realize that somebody has some sort of access. Uh, once they, after that, we see Dick realize that he has to go meet somebody and he pulls up to a house with a mailbox that's labeled Drake. He says it's time to get some answers. And at the same time, Tim gets a phone call and he picks it up and says, hello, mother. Next up, a hidden past hits back. We got two issues of Eternal, as usual. Yep. So, uh, a couple different things. The first one I want to talk about is when we, uh, the, I thought one of the cool moments in issue number three was when Cassandra walks up to each one of, you know, the former Robins and basically shows how, how each one of them thinks. You know, Jason thinks with his fists and Tim mm-hmm. thinks with his head and Dick thinks with his heart. And I thought that was kind of a unique thing and a, and a really interesting way for Cassandra to communicate since at this point, the only word that she has said is mother and that's it. So it's an interesting way for her to communicate that she already understands how each one of them works just by the short interactions that she's had. So I guess the question is, 
is it just because of the interactions that she had or has she always really been in the shadows and we just haven't learned that yet? Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, the interaction she's had, I think if she is the same cast as, well, some of the same cast is in there, she was always pretty observant, you know? Um, she never could communicate that well, both first and she got better. That's the wrong way to put it. She then she got better at communicating. Um, but she, I, I think that maybe even if she wasn't there, maybe someone's given her an intel file. Maybe Batman himself has given him some intel on him, on on the Lester of the Robins. But um, if I had to put money down, I would say it's just from her observations because she's supposed to be observant. And let's face it, they've all been kind of putting it out there for. You know, you don't have to be the greatest detective in the world to look around and see what makes these guys tick. I mean. They're kind of they're kind of putting out there with with Jason and the rest of them. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with she's just observant. But she she is you know she more understands who each individual is upon fighting them. And I think as far as I'm aware, she didn't fight Red Robin yet. Uh, she just fought Dick and and Jason. So I honestly think that she probably she has been in the shadows. Uh, for a while, and maybe through those observations, she has figured out who she is, but I, I felt, or who they are. But I felt like this was a good way of, um, maybe proving the fact that, you know, Batman or somebody else has sort of had her, um, on the side, and this is a way that they could potentially trust her because she does know, like, intimate details almost about them. Um, so I'm going to go with that, but but for what reason or what she's been doing all these years, it, that's that's what intrigues me most. Yeah, I think, the, the for me, I, I think she has been in the shadows because, like you said, she hasn't fought Tim. The only real interaction she has with Tim is when Tim makes the comment about, well, maybe we have to think of it as – you know, her mind's like a child and maybe we need to offer her candy. And, and each one of them does offer something in that moment, but I'm, I'm assuming that her reaction to, you know, is trying to tell them how each one of them thinks is not based off of that one slight conversation that happens over the course of two pages. It's over the course of the four issues, but probably even further back. So I also think that she's been in the shadows. Now, another thing that is interesting is once she, goes off. She's clearly looking for something in the Batcave and she recruits Harper to go with her for some reason, which leads me to believe again that she's been in the shadows and she knows how each one of them thinks because she's, she, she knows that even though Harper's injured, she will be able to be convinced to go with her to search for whatever the heck they're searching for. And maybe because she, Harper has some sort of skills that she will eventually need. I don't know, but that was kind of an interesting thing. Um, the, I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of movement. I did think it was strange how Harper was in issue three. She was laying in the bed getting patched up. And then in the next uh, issue, she's in her Bluebird costume following her. And Stephanie had a completely different mindset from one issue to the next, where in the first issue, she was like comforting Cassandra after the fight with Jason Todd. And then in the next issue, she was basically like, you can't trust her. You can't trust her. So mm -hmm. there was a little bit of disconnect with Stephanie's reactions to the character in both issues, which I didn't think was really great. But the, the idea of Cassandra kind of being the connection to all of them indirectly is kind of strange. Now, another thing I wanted to bring up to discuss is at the very end of issue four, we see, uh, we see 
Dick going to a house with a mailbox labeled Drake. So the question is, when I, okay, well, I have two questions related to this. The first one is, who do you think it is? Because there's a couple different possibilities of who it could be. Um, it could be Tim's parents because we believe that they were put into Witsack, but the fact that Tim's name was on the list and all of the parents were killed on the list leads us mm-hmm. to believe that we're actually going back to the pre-New 52 continuity where Tim's parents were dead and they're not alive, but we don't really know. All we can go off of is what we've seen, but it's very difficult. So let's talk that first, and then I've got another thing to talk about this Drake thing too. Okay, so the Drake mailbox, if if Tim's parents were put into Witsec, wouldn't they have a different last name? I would imagine so, yes. I mean, if the Witness Protection Program in the post-Flashpoint universe is so bad that they don't change anyone's names, there's going to be a lot of dead witnesses. Yeah. You know, um, unless was, Drake is the change name. Oh, is Drake the change name, or is it the original name? I don't remember. I can't remember. I tried to knock that story out of my memory. <laughs> That's the problem. We all tried to erase it from our memory, so now we need to recall it. We so can't. Much though, you know. Who did? I'm just kidding. Oh, You're I'm not like, remember that huge argument we yes, all had. Right. I, I I remember it very vividly. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, I mean, I'm assuming it's Tim's parents. I mean, unless. There's another Drake, or that's Tim's place? I mean, I can't think of anything except Tim's parents that this would, you know, maybe they're just going to, oh, you know what they might be doing? Uh, maybe they're going to kill Tim's parents now that they are alive. Mm-hmm. So and that maybe that could be it. I could see them doing that. I could see them, maybe Tim's parents that survived because they were in Witsec, and they're finally going to get their, their comeuppance. So besides Tim's mom and dad, I, I mean, I can't think of, and I assume that they wouldn't just have some unrelated character named Drake and just put that in there as like a, a false flag. So I'm going to go with Tim's parents because I don't, I don't have a better idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's shocking, right? Because you're led to believe that it's the mother that, um, he actually, or, you know, that is sort of this antagonist. Um, the only weird thing is. I don't know. I, I guess some people do, but I always, when I hear a child or a person refer to their parent as mother or father, it's almost with like this tone of like sarcasm, uh, because mom and dad are, you know, certainly more realistic. Um, and, and it's so th- weird that you say that because when I refer to my son's mom, I refer huh? to it as his That's mother. That's true. Yeah, go see your mother. And yeah. he says the same thing. If he's telling me something, he says my mother. Oh, He okay. says it the same way, but that's just because that's how yeah. – it, it probably is more of a sign of like discontent in this way because yeah. it's not your mom. It's yeah. your mother. Oh, when, when my kid calls me father, it's because she is upset with me about something. Yeah, see? She, she goes, like, I came in one day, and it's a long story, but it, it basically, the end of it was, I ate the last Oreo cookies, right? And she comes in with just an empty bag of Oreos. She's 12 now. Just sets it on my desk in my home office and goes, you're a good father, and walks away. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yes, I, I agree with Stella on that point. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's just a thought. The other thing that's just super random is that in all of this time, 
we've not really seen his parents. And I think that's almost out of left field as well. They're like, let's all of a sudden bring them into the fold. So I almost want it to be the mother and like see what sort of things, even though that may potentially put Tim Drake or cast him in a, in a negative light. I think that would be more interesting than just let's throw some random things on there. But we do see Batman go to that residence. And I think, you know, we've also been considering, um, because there was a Drake in Eternal who was mentioned, and then of course we have hmm. the Drake in, uh, uh, which of course in is Midnight. what I was about to bring up. Oh, sorry. And then no, we have it's okay. the Drake uh-huh. in uh, in Midnight. So you don't know if there's this connection. Now, if that's the connection, that'd be fine with me. But bringing in random people that we've never gotten to know for this purpose would be awful, especially if they are going to kill them off. Because you're absolutely right, Ed. That. You know, that's the thing that ties them all together is this tragic backstory of their parents getting killed. So that'd just be a bummer to introduce parents just to kill them off. Okay, so what I was going to say was when when I saw the name Drake, the first thing I immediately thought of was Gotham the by rapper. Midnight. No. Oh. Gotham by Midnight, there's a character named Lisa Drake who's a detective who's the partner of Jim Corrigan. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning of Gotham by Midnight, we were told that there is a reason she has the last name Drake – and at some point it would be revealed. Now we're here at the end of October. There's only two issues remaining of the series before it's over. And we still haven't learned the reason why her last name is Drake right. or what relation she has to Tim Drake or the Drakes or anything. We'd have no idea why her name's that way. So I immediately thought, hmm, is this the way we get the explanation? Even though Ray Fox isn't involved with Eternal, uh, to my knowledge this time around. So I was wondering, Hmm, maybe this is the way we find this out because she's the one that they're going to go find or that he's going to get the answers from, you know, Dick's going to get the answers from. I didn't really think it was his parents because I thought to myself, one, the same thing Ed did, you know, why wouldn't they, why would they still have the same last name? And then the other part of it was the, 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 the thing that doesn't make any sense in relation is why would they be in you know, a very close proximity to Gotham that Dick could get there so quickly and then get the answers. Now, when uh Tim picks up the phone and says, hello, mother, my immediate thought was, well, this is exactly what happened at the end of issue three with all of those people picking up the phone and saying, yes, right. mother. so I thought, well, Tim must, he's going to get mind controlled or something and he's not going to, you know, that that's what's ha- going to happen. I don't know how it ties into what they're also, you know, using as the cliffhanger for the issue with the Drake mailbox as well. But I, in some ways, hope that it's Lisa Drake from Gotham by Midnight. So we do get some sort of answer about that. Cause if you're reading Gotham by Midnight, you, you're, you're, you're probably realizing that it's very unlikely we're going to find out why her last name is Drake before the end of the series. And we probably will never get picked. That storyline will never get picked up pick back up anywhere else. So I, that's my thoughts. Now, my last thing, like I said, last episode, what I one of my last questions for eternal is always going to be. So how did these two issues go? Do you feel like they, they ran smoothly? You know, did you feel like anything was filler? Did it run well? Did it flow well with the previous issues, things like that. So this time around we had issue three scripted by Tim Seeley. Issue four was scripted by Steve Orlando, two different writers, how did you guys think the flow of these two issues were together? And then also, how did you feel they flowed from issues one and two now through this? I think they were fine. I think that the um, the modern story 
is obviously taking precedence a lot, you know? Um, the, the background plot with, um, Batman with the, remember, was it issue two, wasn't it? The end with him holding the smoking gun over the dead bodies outside the, uh, the theater. We didn't really get much resolution in that. Um, mm-hmm. which is weird. I mean, I, I thought that that, I thought these were going to be running parallel, but these seem to be almost all on the, on the modern plot, which is the only thing that I thought was, was kind of strange. I think the pacing of these two issues itself felt good. And the only thing that made me feel that they didn't pace quite right with the first two was the fact that we've lost the, uh, the backstory, which I thought was going to be part of the plot. Um, but overall, I think, I think they were paced fine. Yeah. I think the only thing that I would omit is sort of adding just many characters into that fight scene. Uh, and it works out in the end, obviously, because Dick was certainly outnumbered. But then to have a discussion between him and the Robins about, you know, their presence, and then to have Batgirl pop in and to have that little discussion, which, you know, reflected back to Batgirl number 45, uh, just seemed like it, 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 it uh, pulled you away from, you know, the main purpose of the of the story and of the fight scene and everything, so I think that would be that would be my um, my question. You know, what was that necessary? Are we just really trying to tie in uh, this particular story with the continuity of what's going on in the Batman books? I also, when Harper got stitched up, I was wondering: number one, where was Alfred? And number two, who stitched her up? Was it really Stephanie Brown? Because she was the only one that was over there. I felt like it was supposed to be the table. The table, the table itself. It's like, oh, I so. okay. was that what I got that too? It's like an automated medic type. Unit? Yeah, okay. that's where I felt because in the issue three, Stephanie makes a comment about the table and she goes, yeah, supposedly Batman's been stitched up here plenty of times. It's almost as good as Alfred, which oh, I guess is the butler okay. of Batman is yeah. what she said. So I'm guessing the table is okay. some sort of automated thing. Well, thank you for that. Oh, I, wow. I do have to say that, um, I think now we're starting to, uh, splinter off because these first couple issues, I think it was very, or was, was this four, three and four? <laughs> I'm already losing track. Were these issues yes. three and four? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, the first couple issues, everyone was very much together. Um, I wouldn't say like a unit, but you know, the storytelling, everyone's in the same room and they continue to be in there for, I think, you know, three and four, but now you see Cass and Harper go off and Spore was sort of on her own and you've got other people, you know, Dick has to do his own thing to a certain extent and we don't know what's going on with Tim. So now I feel like we're going to get to sort of a nexus point where we're going to get to where, uh, Eternal was where there are different stories going on at the same time and we're not all together. Uh, so I'm sort of sensing that shift and I'm hoping that everything still stays cohesive and we can understand it. It's not going to be like the supernatural stuff where we may see a spoiler issue and then it's going to be a month until we see something else happen with spoiler. So I can sense this splintering and I'm just hoping that it, it stays, uh, logical and, and together. All right, so my thoughts on these two issues and the flow of them with the other issues, for the most part, I felt like they did a pretty good job of, you know, continuing the story and having the story continue to flow pretty smoothly. There was a couple small things. The Stephanie Brown characterization from three to number four was, that was one of the big things between the two issues that was very different that you could tell two different people were writing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I felt like the most of the characterization of the characters has been the same throughout all four issues, except for this snafu with uh, Stephanie Brown in three and four. So overall, I think they've flowed it pretty well. 
Um, as a story, I didn't really feel like there was really any filler. It does feel continuously, if you are, I, this is one of those stories where I feel so far, at least with these first four issues, that if you were reading this in a trade form, it would flow perfectly as far as, you know, story, 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 and very to no filler whatsoever so far. Now, that's not to say that we won't end up getting something. Um, there is, a, you know, because at this point, within four issues of the first volume of Eternal, we were introduced to the, you know, Arkham Asylum supernatural side of things, which ended up feeling a lot like a whole lot of filler for this, for the first volume, because yeah. there wasn't a whole lot that actually ended up coming out of that. Uh, because nothing that happened in that book had any sort of effect on what ended up coming out of the books. Uh, you know, Gotham by Midnight was created, but it didn't deal with anything that they dealt with in the pages of Eternal. So it was kind of like Jim Corrigan exists, but other than that, it, it doesn't really matter. So I feel like so far they've done a good job of keeping it. The one thing that I actually have enjoyed is I like that they keep bringing up these things that are happening in other books that can be a huge thing that could be a downfall for them as time goes on. They continually trying to connect, you know, mentioning, oh, check out Grayson 6. And everybody knows that I love editor's notes when they say we're referencing something. Go check out this issue if you want to see what we're referencing. They refer re within these two issues, they reference two different issues of Grayson and an issue of Batgirl. I think it's great to do that, but at the same time, you could really screw yourself because you're putting yourself in a spot where you're specifically saying this happened at this time, mm -hmm. but that can't necessarily be true as time goes on with the series, knowing that all of the other books aren't following right alongside with what's going on. So I like it for now, but if they continue to do it, they're going to put themselves into a corner. So I got to be careful with that. But I think overall they've done a decent job so far. I think these four issues are better than the first four issues of the first volume. Really? I think so. I think so. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Batman Eternal, the you know, the first volume, I enjoyed. But I think the first two issues were really good. But by three and four, it all started to, it started to feel like, which directions are we going? And this one just feels like there's one path straightforward. There's, you know, and, and anything that's going on alongside it, like the Cassandra Kane Harper Row thing, it's happening on the same path, just in a different lane. And in Batman and Batman Eternal, the first volume, it felt like there was different things, but they were all different paths. They all eventually lead to the same ending, but there was different paths, and they didn't flow in the same same you know boundaries. So that's why I think it's better. But you know, time will tell. I felt like it took longer to get off the rails than the four issues, but yeah, I can see it. All right. So first up, Batman Eternal number three. I'm going to give this one a total of. Three out of five batterings. I'm going to give the first one three and a half. I'm going to agree with Ed. Yes. Go with three and a half. Over yep. on the website, Ian gave it three, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number three a total of three out of five batterings. Our next one, Batman Eternal number four, I'm going to give this one a total of three as well. Um, three and a half. And I will also stay with three and a half. All right. And Ian gave it three and a half. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number four a total of three and a half out of five. So that is our two books that were in depth. So let's jump over to our spotlight books. The very first one we have is Batman Arkham Knight Genesis number three. Um, this one was reviewed by Ryan. He gave it five out of five. 
Um, in this issue, we Whoa. see Jason going back to Arkham Asylum, and we see the entire explanation of how he was held captive while a number while Joker was actually being held within Arkham Asylum. Turns out there was a uh, guard who was allowing Joker to torture uh, Jason during his shift, and then in the process, a number of Batman's rogues gallery was also torturing Jason the entire time. So, really good issue. Thumbs up for me. Uh, neutral. Neutral. All right, so next up, Black Canary number five, reviewed by Corbin. He gave it a total of four out of five. So what happened in this book? Yeah, they are the Black Canary band is continuing on their tour, and Bo Maeve all of a sudden shows up at a band signing that the band's having, and there's going to be this huge battle of the bands because a bunch of bands are upset that Dinah and her crew are, are taking their sort of spots, and there's uh, – when Bo Maeve and her group come on, she unleashes her canary cry, and that's where it ended. All right. Uh, for for Black Canary number five, I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Next up, Gotham Academy number 11, reviewed by Gary. He gave it four out of five. Stella, what happened in this one? There is a tennis tournament in Gotham City, and for some reason, even though the city is on fire, uh, the Gotham Academy allows the children to go and view it. So while Kyle is playing, the, the, our group of, of heroines and heroes go off to get more information on Calamity. Red Robin pops in on maps and Olive, and Calamity pops in and then disappears, and Kyle also disappears, but they also find two pieces of a key that may go to Arkham Asylum. All right, and for this one, I'm giving a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Justice League number 45, reviewed by Bill. He gave it a total of four out of five. Now, I'm not going to get into an in-depth uh, description of what's happening because we're actually going to have a discussion about uh, just the, the current events of Justice League a little later on. So for right now, we're just going to give it a, uh, our we're going to give it our uh, thoughts. Uh, I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. All right, next up, Teen Titans number 12, reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of four and a half. This issue is kind of the, the kind of the wrap-up of what we've seen. Not not all of the wrap-up, but we see Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, and Red Robin. They're all whisked away, and they all are talking with Connor. Connor is convinced that he, you know, he he's a horrible person for what's happened, but they realize that he's not completely to fault. So for this issue, I'm giving it a neutral. 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 All right. Then Titans Hunt number one, reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of four and a half out of five. This is a interesting issue. Obviously, this is folding out out of Convergence, but it actually takes place not where exactly you would think based off of the cover and things. We actually see Dick Grayson as a spiral agent. We see Roy Harper as part of, you know, Red Hood, the partnership between Red Hood and Arsenal. Um, and there's something going on that's splitting the worlds where we see various versions of the characters and that's the basic gist of it. It's actually, it was, I thought it was really good. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. I was more of a thumbs down. So next up, we have Secret Six, number seven. This was reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of four and a half out of five batarangs. Um, this is dealing with Black Alice. Uh, she's in the hospital. Uh, part of the team is kind of just trying to, well, Catman is trying to bring the rest of the team together to make them a better team. So they decide to go mini golfing and try a bunch of different things 
just to try to make them a better team. While uh, Wells, who we also know is the elongated man, Ralph Dibney, he is standing, staying with Black Alice when we find out that Etrigan, he comes and they realize that there's a group coming after Black Alice because they believe that she is a bad force that needs to be reckoned with. So for this issue, I'm going to give a neutral. Thumbs down. Neutral. Next, we have Batman 66, number 28, which covers digital chapters 68 through 69. This was reviewed by Gary. He gave it two and a half out of five. The first part of the issue deals with Scarecrow, Batman and Robin dealing with a Batman 66 version of Scarecrow. And the second story deals with a 66 version of Killer Croc. For this issue, I will give a neutral. 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 Next, we have Grayson number 13, reviewed by Corbin. He gave it four and a half out of five. In this issue, we have Dick. He goes back to Spiral after being not with Spiral for a while, but, uh, there's a, he actually deals with Tiger Shark in the issue, leading, you know, Tiger Shark, the character who Dick dealt with as Batman during Scott Snyder's run on Detective Comics, pre-New 52. Um, we also have Midnighter show up. We also have, uh, Helena threatening checkmate. Uh, so there's a lot of different things happening in this issue. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, neutral. Thumbs up. All right. Next up, Batgirl number 45, reviewed by Don. He gave it four out of five. Stella, what happened in this issue? Well, Joe and Alicia actually do get married. Um, Dick swoops in and steals Babs away for a talk slash chase through the city. Uh, leaving poor Luke by himself, but then Babs ends up basically saying, Dick, now is not the time for us, and goes back to her boyfriend, Luke. And it ends with her, uh, with a shadowy figure creeping in her room. All right, so with this one, I'm going to give a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up as my heart breaks. All right, next up, Robin, Son of Batman, number five, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. In this issue, we see the return of Talia Ghul. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also see a, a number of different things uh, related to Damien. Damien actually becomes unconscious, and Talia actually ends up in some way saving him. Um, so we find, we're find we going to find out something related to that, uh, how she got her memories back or whatever. Uh, Maya and Goliath managed to rescue both of them during the issue. Uh, because Damien is dealing with Dendarga, the leader of the Lundarga, um, which is a, a group that Damien dealt with and stole something from way back during the Year of the Blood. So for this issue, I'm giving a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. And you forgot to mention that the island with all of his brothers was destroyed. Yes, yes, that's true. And the, the brothers actually sacrificed themselves yeah. to save Damien. The next one, We Are Robin number 5, reviewed by Bill. He gave it 4 out of 5. In this issue, we see the, uh, we see two, uh, well, the issue kind of focuses on two of the different group members of We Are Robin, but the entire team shows up. We found out that one of the Robins has a gangster brother named Hector, and we see that another one has ties to the mob, uh, or another member of the team has ties to the mob, um, and they're talking about how they, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing, but it ends up by the end of the issue, we see that Duke is shot by Hector, who is the brother of one of the members of the We Are Robin group. Uh, so the, the main point of the issue is that they're focused, they're trying to build a little bit better of the, with the, you know, the backstories of some of these mm-hmm. members of the team. So I'm giving this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Next up, Gotham by Midnight, number 10, reviewed by Jim. 
the basic gist of this issue was that uh, Spectre, after the last issue of him gore, very gory, you know, demolishing oh, yeah. two detectives, uh, Lisa Drake somehow gets him out of the, you know, police lockup so that he can, because she's concerned that he's going to do something horrible again as the Spectre. So the entire uh, issue is basically a chase scene between her having him in the car and driving him away so that they can get to a secluded area so that the specter doesn't go after anybody else and destroy anybody else. Uh, they end up crashing off a bridge. Specter is in the process of emerging as they're crashing off the bridge. So we don't know if they're going to live or die. And Dr. Tar is still investigating the black flowers and trying to figure out what it all means. Um, this issue, I'm giving a neutral neutral, Thumbs up, because I'm wondering if Lisa Drake was, she exploded. All right, next up, Justice League Dark Side War, Batman number one, reviewed by Bill. He gave it a total of four and a half out of five. Uh, again, we'll we'll discuss this a little bit more in depth very shortly. I'm giving this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Last but not least, New Suicide Squad number 13, reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of four out of five. This issue deals not at all with some of the storylines that we've been featuring in the last couple stories. We see Deadshot, or Captain Boomerang and Deadshot working a deal with a drug dealer. The drugs that they're trying to, you know, that they're trying to get a hold of, they give the buyer the ability to have a, a superpower of some sort and then it'll eventually wear out. It sounds very familiar to the same principle that the, uh, drug that Mr. Bloom is having in Batman, but no real connection yet. But anyway, uh, Parasite ends up going after a bunch of thugs that are on these pills, and he ends up exploding, causing himself to go into a coma. At the end of the issue, Amanda Waller has to go off the grid because she's convinced that all of the, the, the company that's not only manufacturing this drug, but also the, the company that's making a certain group of weapons, they're all t- tying back to what she believes is Vic Sage, so she's going off the grid. Um, so this one I'm going to give a neutral. Neutral. I'm going to give it a neutral. All right. So that is all of our books. So before we get into our listener Q&As, as I mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about Justice League. So obviously Dark Side War is a big event that's been going on. We haven't talked about it that much, but I felt with the the one shot that came out, the Dark Side War Batman issue that, that came out, that we reviewed over on the website. I felt like this was a good time to kind of give an update about what's been going on with Dark Side Wars. So Ed's, Ed's going to give us kind of a synopsis of what's happened up to this point in Dark Side War so that if you're not reading Justice League, you have an idea of what's going on since it isn't the same continuity currently as what's going on in the Bat Books. Okay, so for those that are not keeping up with the Justice League Dark Side War thing, to put it in a simple, so I don't go on forever, to make it simple, the Anti-Monitor is essentially having a war, a fight against Darkseid, and the new gods are involved. Uh, everyone kind of knows that big kind of Justice League continuity. Hal Jordan has a ring, not a gauntlet. Batman is Bruce Wayne, not Jim Gordon. Um, and we haven't seen Alfred, but one would assume he has both hands. Uh, but essentially what happens is Darkseid gets killed. Kind of backing up a little bit to that, uh, the Batman ends up in a Mobius chair, which means he has basically access to all the knowledge of the universe, and he now considers himself the god of knowledge. Flash is 
intimately involved in the death of Darkseid. Flash thinks he's the god of death. Mm. Uh, Lex Luthor now believes himself to be the god of apocalypse. Uh, Shazam thinks he's the god of gods. I mean, so this is kind of going on. Batman's named the god of knowledge. Uh, Superman is named the god of strength. So they're all essentially becoming gods. I mean, they're almost transferring into the new gods. Um, so this is kind of what's happened in Dark Side War. So, and they had this one shot this month that dealt very specifically with Batman being in the Mobius chair, where he is essentially doing Minority Report. If anyone, I meant to throw an old movie in there, but if anyone's seen Minority Report, essentially Batman is arresting people before they commit crimes because he can see the future. And this is causing a huge overrun at GCPD. Um, but he drops some guys off in the Antarctic and he's not sleeping and refuses to get out of the chair. Um, he's becoming the Batman that he always could be the perfect Batman. Alfred's very worried about him, but what are you going to do? Uh, and at the end, what we're kind of teased with is there's this, by the way, exceptionally well drawn montage of Joker stories, everything from Bruder Baker's The Laughing Fish all the way up into Endgame is referenced there. And this little montage scene on the, on the bat screens, which I really thought was very cool, could make a pretty good poster or something like that. But what they're teasing is, well, not teasing, what they've told us is Batman now knows the Joker's identity. We still haven't been given the Joker's identity, uh, but Batman does. Um, there's also this really weird scene in this issue where he does the Joe Chill thing, where he essentially goes to Joe Chill's, Joe Chill's prison cell and uh, mentally just screws with the guy. Uh, uh, reveals himself to be Bruce Wayne, you know, says that he created Batman. And if, and if, and if Batman's going to tell everyone that in Blackgate that it was up because of him, there's a Batman. And which means this guy would get, you know, beatings in the, in the, you know, prison washroom for the rest of his life or whatever. But then at the end, Batman just wipes his memory and leaves. So it's really kind of a, supposed to show us how out of character Batman's really being. But, um, so we get this, this tease that he's going to go find the Joker and he's going to end this once and for all. And that's kind of the end of the issue and kind of takes up to where we are with Dark Side War. So there's a ton to talk about. I guess my biggest question for everyone, if we're going to kind of tackle from that, is do you think we're really going to find out much about the Joker here? I don't, you know, honestly, I feel like it's been hinted at, but I don't think we're actually going to end up seeing any sort of reveal. I think if we were going to see it, it would have just happened. Um, this one, like this one shot because it didn't deal with it here either, I don't feel like it will ever happen. Um, mostly because I just don't think that anybody actually wants to bit, sit there and be like, here's the real identity of the Joker. Well, could, because, could, could it be anything but a letdown? I mean... Exactly. That's the thing. I don't think there's any way to make it anybody... Like, unless it would... Like, because what is it going to end up being? Like, oh, it's uh, Jack Napier. Or, oh, it's Joe Schmo. Like, it, it, nobody's going to care. It's better if it's just an unknown... You don't know who it is, in my opinion. Stella, what do you think about the whole should we know who the Joker thing is? I'm sure. Should we know who he is? I think it's too much of a shakeup for comic readers. Um, I, I think that the, the whole allure of the Joker is that you never really know who he is definitely. There's always, um, all those options and, you know, it just will go on forever. I think it's just one of those questions that will never be answered and perhaps shouldn't be answered. Now, Dustin, you, you may know this because there's not a, is there a follow-up one-shot of this? It's just these no. ones, right? So there's not it's like just this one. There's not a part two to this. I mean, it'd just be in Justice League, right? The, the basic gist of the one-shots is it's basically just supposed to enhance the story for that one character within this storyline. 
And there's going to be, I believe, five of them. Okay. Uh, none of them is dealing, again, obviously with Batman. I know that there's a Shazam one, a Wonder Woman one. Soup, some I'm guessing Flash and Superman is the other ones, but, um, I know for a, I know for a fact there's not going to be a follow-up. So it's just basically trying to enhance the story without making any, you know, without having it to need, without needing it to bleed into other, other, uh, series, if that makes sense. Now, what do you guys think of this idea of, Minority Report Batman. It's so funny that you described it as Minority Report because as I was reading this, that's exactly the way I was thinking of it. I was like, this is Minority Report because I'm also watching that new Fox TV show on Fox called Minority Report 2. And I was just like, this is exactly what it is. But, you know, in some degree, I mean, like, that's exactly what I could see Batman doing if he had the ability to do it. I don't know how in the world it could be legal, and James Gordon is exactly right when he's like, <laughs> what are we supposed can't to do actually these keep these yeah. people. <laughs> like, it's not gonna work. So, the, like, the bet, like, it would make more sense to try to catch them in the act more so than stop them before they actually do anything. But, you know, whatever. I mean, like, I don't really have any thoughts about it other than it is exactly what I would imagine Batman doing yeah. if he had the ability. But it makes a lot more sense to try to catch them in the act than rather than stop them completely because legally there's nothing you can do if they haven't actually done it yet. So, good point. Um, it's certainly interesting, and I it's really amusing when I saw him in the Mobius chair because I just read a couple weeks ago Zero Hour for the oh. first time, and of course you know the Mobius chair and uh, our little time traveling friend. Yeah, or plays a big part for that or in that. And, uh, it, it's just weird. It is weird and absolutely, you know, out of character, everything that he does and everyone's trying to talk him down off of what he's doing. And it's just strange that the nutrients, like that whole discussion of, you know, one is living off at the other and vice versa. Um, I mean, it's in a sense, it goes towards everything Bruce has always been fighting for, just that. You know, he loves the city despite its, its horribly sinful side and he wants to fix it. But, um, well, this Mobius chair gives him, you know, every way of doing that. But as Jim tells him, even though he speeds off, uh, clearly it, that's not going to solve the problem. So, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, it's totally believable that this is something he would try to do. But, uh, yeah, obviously it's just, it, it wouldn't work. I tell you what, the, uh, the other scene that was in this that I thought was pretty interesting was the Joe Chill scene. Like, I just kind of wish we never had a Joe Chill. That's for another argument. Um, I wish it was just still the unknown person, but it's, that's obviously never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, to me, that was the scene that was like super out of character. You know, I mean, I don't know. It, 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 it was really well done and, it was really enjoyable, but I guess the whole point was to show how screw up the chair had got him. But I did think the chill scene was was different. Um, again, I wish he didn't exist, but with him here, it's nice to see that he's not just forgot about him running up in Blackgate, the guy who who killed his parents. So the one the one thing I have to say is that it, I find it slightly weird that Ch- Joe Chill's like, oh well, yeah, I I, I oh. tortured that Wayne boy by leaving him alive after killing his parents, like. That didn't come across, 
Like some of the other incarnations of Joe Chill that we've seen, like the Grant Morrison version during R.I.P. that was shown, things like that. Like he doesn't come across as the type of person who's like he did it on purpose. It was just kind of like right, he, yeah. He did the, the he did what he did because he it was a necessity type thing. He had to steal money to live. He had to survive. That's why it happened. Not you know he purposely didn't kill Bruce Wayne because he wanted to torture the kid. Well, I don't like that was the one interpretation that I thought was slightly strange. Well, and then then he I can't remember the number he gives now, but doesn't he make it like he killed a bunch of other people too? Yeah, which is I mean Joe Chill was always very much the um the character lifted into Batman Begins for for everyone who watched the movies. You know like the you know the the, the poor guy who commits a robbery type deal. And the Gotham was the bad, almost the Gotham was the villain, right? I mean, um, so I thought this was different where he's all of a sudden, like you said, like he's cool with this, he's killed a bunch of people. Um, and then I guess the, you know, Stella's thoughts on Joe, but, so is this continuity then? Is this the Joe Chill of 50, of the new 52? Or is, do you think this is so much far, you know, you know, divorced with the continuity changes that this isn't even part of established continuity? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, if this was Jeff Johns writing this, I would just sit there and say, well, he's just writing a different interpretation of the character. But it was Peter Tomasi who wrote this version of it. And Peter Tomasi's pretty dialed into what's happening in the Batman universe. Writer detective. So it almost feels like he is making this the Joe Chill of the New 52. (laughs) I, um, well, something that was a red flag for me was the fact that when he went to uh, Themyscira, the the Amazons remembered uh, the Batman and Robin, which I think at that time was probably was a Batman and Aquaman, and then a change over to Batman, Batman and uh, Wonder Woman to oh, find you know his, for his son, yeah, yeah, and so I thought this is really weird just because. Um, I wasn't sure how this hmm. was in the continuity bubble because uh, I thought it was outside, but that just pulled it into the continuity bubble. Um, but I would say it's probably the new 52 or post-Flashpoint, whatever it's called now, Joe Chill. But I think they also need to get their uh, their story straight there. Well, the problem is that, you know, obviously we've said this multiple times about continuity is dead or whatever. But the fact that they continue to do this, where they bring up these other story points, means that they have no intention of killing continuity. They just aren't as strict about what's connected and what's not. Because, I mean, for the longest time, as we know, Batman and Robin was not happening within the same continuity as every other Bat book, even though it should have been. Because Damien just wasn't being referenced in any of the other books. I'm still trying to figure out how Damien's going to get brought into Batman and Robin Eternal. I have no idea how that's going to happen you know, it, 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 down the line, but Grayson kind of just threw everything up in the air when Grayson showed all that, all those flashbacks of him dealing with all of these characters, including, including, uh, moments from pre new 52. So, you know, I don't, I don't like Justice League gets its own area right now. Anyway. I mean, obviously Jim Gordon's not Batman that none of that stuff's happened. So because of that, I have to wonder to myself, like, you know, we've talked about this before, how there's different parts of DC where there's different group editors, there's a back group editor, there's a group editor for the Just League stuff and the team books, and there's another one for the Superman stuff, and sometimes they don't always communicate between the groups, but normally within the group, you're, you know, they do a pretty decent job, and it just feels like now it's starting to get to the point where some of the stuff is starting to get so convoluted between 
the groups and between the continuities and the stories that we've been told, it's just kind of like, how do you actually make sense of any of it without having some sort of event that just kind of irons everything out? Well, it's very much become like a buffet, right? Yes. Like, like they walk down the buffet and John's goes, yeah, I'll take some of that Damien story, put some of that on here. And I like, well, let's put Superman in, let's do this, uh, take that Green Lantern story out of continent. I mean, it's just, you know, it seems, it seems weird. I don't mind, I don't mind stories that are divorced from continuity, but it seems like, like you said, they intentionally drop these continuity references. Which the only way to do that was to kind of give it a place, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and then, I don't know. It just, it does seem, Strange way to do it. That's all. Unless they're going to say this happened before Bruce died in Maybe. Endgame. I don't know. Maybe because I think at some point, and I can't remember if it was at San Diego or New- it had to be at San Diego. Because I don't think Jeff Johns was at New York Comic Con. I thought I saw something somewhere that said, eventually Justice League, when Dark Side War is over, we will see some sort of resolution of the Justice League dealing with Bruce Wayne not being part of it. I thought I saw that somewhere, but. That won't make any sense either unless Bruce Wayne is still going to be outside of the suit after issue 50 because at, that's right around the same time as Dark Side Wars ending. So unless they're going to continue on with the Bruce, you know, the Jim Gordon Batman, unless, of course, the reference was that we would see the reaction, but it was going to be in the pages of Detective Comics and it was just not said by Tomasi or anybody else. And the problem is I can't really recall exactly what was said and who it was said by, but... It would be weird if they actually did that. The other weird thing was I saw something about, and I want to say this was on Twitter, that Brian Hitch, who's writing uh, Justice League of America right now, was in talks with Jeff Johns about how they can make the two books kind of work together what? and tell a massive story later on uh, in 2016. Justice League of America? Yes. I thought that was supposed to be intentionally continuity free. Yes, I know. That's why when I saw it, I was like, what? what? Crack babies. That, and on top of that, he said that he had plans for like five years worth of books when he started Just League of America. So, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going on. I, you know, who knows? But that being said, so that's Just League. Though. That's what, yeah, yeah, it is good. It, everything that is happening with the Just League War, I think it is really good. Like, it's one of the better stories that's been happening in the Just League in a while. Uh, Plus, did you, if, if, Slightly off topic, but this is slightly on topic because of his, the Detective Comics. After uh, Manipul left Detective Comics, if anyone saw the last Justice League 45 when he stepped in, it was really good. Uh, the art was. Um, I know that's kind of off topic, but Manipul's art was amazing in 45. All right, so that is Justice League. Check it out. Definitely recommend it. Oh, yeah. Uh, with that, we're going to get straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> So the very first one we have is from Ian. He says, excellent podcast. Love the discussion of Stephanie Brown all over the podcast. She got some of the best lines in Batman and Robin Eternal number two, and it was so funny hearing Dustin quote them. All the Tim Stephanie shipping made me gleeful as well. Though you're right about Tim Drake being killed off, that would make me very sad. Regarding Stella's comments about the consistency between characterization of Stephanie, I think the main jarring difference is between Stephanie in Batman Eternal, Batgirl Annual, and the forthcoming Batgirl number 46, and Batman and Robin Eternal, Detective Comics Endgame, and Genevieve Valentine's Catwoman. While I'm really loving Valentine's 
Catwoman, she clearly approaches the characters with a serious tone that does not match a lot of the other writers. Not that Snyder, Tinian, or the other writers are, aren't serious, but they tend to write for a superhero comic with the elevated reality and bits of humor you might see on a show like The Flash. Valentine is writing a tragic noir mob crime story, sort of like the film Brick. No one is righteous, no one is pure, and no one is coming out clean in Valentine's Calibri's family, and I think that tone is why Stephanie is so dark and bitter in Catwoman, but less so in the other titles. Listening to Valentine's interviews, her own conception of Stephanie is young, eager, vibrant, and funny, but the overall tone of the book doesn't allow for much of that voice shift for the character, I believe. It'll be very, very interesting seeing how Valentine's voice meshes with the other writers in Batman and Robin Eternal. As someone who loathes what Frank Miller did to Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson in All-Star Batman Robin, count me out as one completely unexcited reader finding out what they might finish this mess of a series. Batman should be a hero, a flawed one, but not a child abuser and a sadist who has random trysts across the city with whatever female vigilantes happen to cross his path. Which is what happens in that story. Yes, that's that's true. Love the new rating system for the non-spotlight comics. Those summaries are very helpful, and the ratings allow me to judge interest for maybe starting a new series. So, with that, uh, Ian, thank you for your comments. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are that that you are enjoying the new rating system for the spotlight books. Um, I'm still just trying to figure out a new name because I, we've been using the spotlight term, and it's not really spotlight. I have to figure out some new name for it because it. Way back, it was the DC Spotlight where we just randomly brought up a book that we enjoyed from the DC, you know, that DC was publishing, and then we turned it into TV Spotlight, but we were only focusing on certain books, and now we're covering them all, so it's not really a spotlight. It's really just we're covering them all, so I gotta figure out a new name. So any suggestions on what we should call that area of the podcast for all of the supporting books that aren't the main bat books that we do the in-depth reviews, send those suggestions through the comments section, and I'll take those in consideration for the next episode. Avalanche of comics. That probably won't go through. Yeah. Next, EG says, Tim Drake is 100% not gay. I will ship him with Stephanie primarily, and Tam is a secondary ship. If you read Batgirl Convergence number two, Tim was going in for sex, and Steph was the one that pulled back. Whoa. Wow. There, I can't say he's lying. <laughs> yeah, there there is some there is some truth to that. I, I do think it's interesting that you mentioned Tam because I think a lot of people have forgotten about Tam, uh, mostly because outside of being brought up very rarely within the pages of Batwing, uh, she has not been a character that's been focused on in conjunction with Tim Drake since pre New Fifty Two, and you know she actually for the entire Red Robin series she was kind of like the primary in- love interest for him. Even if it was indirectly, um, I think that that's a that's a fair point. But I, as I, but I, like I said, I would ship Steph and Tim together more than any, Tim with anybody else. Yes, I think that's the natural. Having um, Tim with anybody with Steph is as weird as having Superman and Lois Lane not together. You know, like it's that was just part of before the New Fifty Two. That was just part of the story. Right. I think that was one of the reasons why I was so weirded out by the fact that they were kept pairing Tim with Harper Row in Eternal, the first volume, was because I kept feeling like that's what they were, they were like forcing some sort of like pairing between the two of them, um, with all the weird things that was happening and her comments about how, you know, he'd take off his suit or whatever, you know, like it, it just felt weird because that's not, I don't, 
picture Tim with anybody but Steph, in my opinion. Well, especially weird since since in Eternal was when Spoiler got brought back into continuity. Exactly. So yeah. if if she wasn't there, then you can always say she doesn't exist. What do you want us to do about it? Right. Yeah. But if you're bringing her, I don't know. I, yeah, that, I always thought that was kind of bizarre laying there. And then Don responded by saying, which was weird considering that Tim was and presumably is still a virgin. He's referencing the convergence thing because presu- there was a entire thing. If anybody remembers Red Robin before pre New 52, there was actually a, th- there was actually a story where there was certain female villains that were trying to take Tim's virginity. Anybody remember that? That's a fact, son. <laughs> yep. That it happened. actually happened. That happened. Yeah. There was, there was a number of female villains that not, I wouldn't say villains because they were more, they weren't, they were like the Catwoman versions for Red Robin, but they were all trying to seduce Tim and it was like they had a bet going to see who could get Tim's V card. They actually that's, used the word V card. That's exactly what I mean. That's literally what happened. Yes. Yep. And then EG then responded with, yeah, he was a virgin as far as we know pre-52, or pre-52. I don't know about him post-52. His character is a shadow of what it used to be. I think he's been on and off again with Cassandra Sandsmark since the relaunch. Who knows? Maybe he and Steph will hook up in Eternal. So. That's gonna happen. Yeah, well, who knows what'll happen? I mean, like, at this point, it doesn't feel like Steph is really super into it. It feels like, honestly, they've written Harper as if from the moment that Harper was not written by Snyder and and Harper was appearing in books, her and her brother were making comments about Tim that felt as if it was coming out of Stephanie's mouth, but it wasn't Stephanie. Does that make sense? I, I think that from the comments and very, very early, I think it's fairly apparent that Harper's brother has the hots for Tim. So I know this well, that too. My, I'm upset EG nice initials, by the way, but, um, <laughs> You know. Is it you? It's no, it's not me. Ed. No, it's not me. But <laughs> this is what I think. Uh, but maybe that's what'll happen. You know, Harper's brother. Just saying. All right. So with that, that is all of our comments on the website. I implore everyone to go over to the website and leave your comments for the next episode for us to do some in-depth uh, discussions. I was quite surprised, as well as my co-host, that we didn't have one related to Scott Snyder this time oh. around. No, no complaints there. Because I think we have discussed Snyder quite a quite a bit recently, but it was quite of a surprise that we went an entire episode without getting a comment about Scott Snyder. But then again, there wasn't a whole lot that happened in the last two weeks to really bring up Scott Snyder. That all being said, anything else that you guys want us to talk about, leave us those comments in the comment section on the podcast, and we will discuss those on the next episode. In addition to that, head over to the website for all kinds of news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all of the other podcasts we have to offer. Um, we do have, in, in addition to obviously us covering Batman and Robin Eternal, Rob from Everyone Loves the Drake, he is producing a specific special, a series of specials episodes on the Batman Universe specials focusing on Batman and Robin Eternal. Um, he's doing that as a monthly episode where he'll cover one month's worth of issues. So be on the lookout for that new episode soon as well. Also, uh, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer. Uh, also, leave us reviews on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as join our Facebook group to 
chat with other Bat fans about everything related to the Batman universe. And as always, we are always looking for newcomers to help out with the website. Uh, this time I'm going to call out the fact that we're still looking for news reporters related to movies, specifically dealing with Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad, as well as TV dealing with Gotham. If you have any interest in covering and writing news articles related to that stuff, hit us up on the website, tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. We're also always looking for web designers, graphic designer type people that deal with websites to potentially help us make the site a better place. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. (laughs) 